You are listening to From Our Perspective, Voices of the Directly Impacted here on Justice Radio with your host, Marian Anderson. Today, we're talking with a very special guest, a formerly incarcerated woman and mother of three who wishes to remain anonymous during this interview. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Uh, I really appreciate you coming onto the show to share your story with us. It's it's such a blessing and such an honor to be to be in this work, to be doing this work, and to have guests such as yourself uh, come on and, and and share with us, you know, their experiences of being incarcerated and what life looks like for them today. I appreciate it. I appreciate the work you're doing. Uh, yeah, I you know I don't even really know where to begin, but I can tell you that to the degree that I could, I was trying to live um, a normal life, uh, like most of us try to do, whatever that whatever normal is, and you know, got married, um, had three kids, had a great job, and was seemingly living a wonderful life. But what I didn't realize is how my life, my childhood trauma, um, how things were still kind of lurking there, you know, behind me, like ready. I, I think I had dealt with some things, but I hadn't dealt with them all. And I won't go into my life story on this, but I will uh, summarize, you know, I grew up in a single parent household. Um, my mom, you know, used uh, drugs and alcohol as a way to numb her pain. And it was excessive and interfered with daily living. Um, it, it, it interfered with her being a mother. Uh, and so I essentially raised myself since I was six, year, six years old, uh, which included, you know, using birthday money to go uh, buy groceries for us, uh, making sure our laundry got done and we scrounged enough quarters to be able to clean our clothes um, in at the laundromat and picking up after, you know, my mom had, you know, big parties with all of her friends and beer cans and, you know, watching her shoot needles in her arm as a young kid and thinking it was normal. And so I would do it to my dolls. Um, you know, a lot of things that little kids should not see and, and not participate in. Uh, and so I grew up quickly and what I did learn is the way to survive was to people please and never bother anybody and show up in a way that uh, made me like a shining star, right? So maybe it was getting perfect grades. It was having our apartment when we had them and we weren't evicted, having it clean for my mom. Um, and then that's when I would get the praise like, oh my goodness, how could you you know, be such a good girl? Or, wow, you're so smart. Or wow, you're you really get the job done. And that theme continued throughout my life. Uh, my mom did kick me out when I was 14. Um, I think she knew on some level that she could not handle um, caring for her and a young person. And that was a blessing and a curse, right? Like, I think that uh, obviously nobody wants to be kicked out of their home, um, especially when I loved my mom fiercely in spite of her addictions and it was hard to go reintegrate i just i just lived with random people uh you know a, a babysitter and their family uh, my friend's parents a lady who knew my grandmother at church had a spare room in the back of her farmhouse wherever i could you know find a place to sleep was wherever i went so i'm, I'm really grateful to those people who stepped up along the way um but naturally like all of this hurt was accruing inside and I didn't really pay any attention to it I just kept going and achieving and put myself through college and then put myself through graduate school and you know felt like I was on top of the world uh until I wasn't you know I started my life I had three children as I mentioned and 
on my my last child, I had um, about a, a pretty big bout of postpartum depression that I don't know that gets enough credibility, right? Like, I think it's something that's easy for people to, you know, write it off, like it's not that serious, but it is. And uh, I wasn't treated for it. And around the sim- a similar time, my mother at age 54 uh, was found dead in her apartment, you know, which is a moment I probably feared all of my life. And in fact, I used to beg her to stop using so that I wouldn't have to get a call one day. And so in the moment that she died, it was like all of my anxiety about something bad happening, it occurred in that moment. And so it was reinforced um, that bad things happen and that any, in any case, I just got up the next day. I mean, I cried all night. I won't even get into the scene of that, what that was like, but I just got up and went to work the next day because that's what I did. There was no time to grieve. It was, you know, just be the best, be the best professional, be the best mother, be the best neighbor, be the best wife, be the best friend. And I was, I was doing all of that, but it was like, I was spinning on a, a merry-go-round that just kept moving faster and faster. Um, and I ended up getting a new job where I, Uh, It was a little bit untraditional uh, to what I was used to Uh, and working with a a different clientele. And this time it was, you know, some teenagers who were in distress, right? Like they were suicidal, self-harming, not areas that I was well-versed in. I didn't have a lot of education about it. And that was kind of the tipping point. I think that if you're familiar with the world of psychology at all, uh, you understand what transference is or projection and mixing your own stuff up with other people. And that's what happened for me. And it's, it's really embarrassing, right? Like I was an adult who in the midst of my perfect storm of my life, saw another person who was also in distress and um, had suicidal ideation and thought that I could save that person, right? And inadvertently would be saving the younger me, would be saving my mother who I didn't get to save this person a teenager was uh, looking at me like I was a savior and a hero, which also fit nicely into my life narrative, right? Like if I could be the people pleaser and rescue others, then I had meaning and I crossed some boundaries and I'm not proud of that. And it is hard to say it's humiliating to know that I made choices that had negative impact on you know, not only the student and their family, but also my own family and friends. I'm not proud of it. I, I do want to be very explicit in my account of it, accountability for that. But I want to explain what I mean when I say how I'm accountable. I'm accountable because I'm sorry that my choices were, you know, that my behavior was what it was. And I'm sorry that I hurt people, but Beyond that moment of time, you know, accountability for me is following suit with choices that are consistent and congruent with, you know, my values and trying to make a difference, right? I can't go back and undo the past. I can't undo the harm that I caused and erase the hurts, though I would love to, but I can try to model what it's like you know, for my children, for example, to get back up after, you know, off your feet after you've made a mistake and walk out into the public um, when you know that you've been scarlet lettered and nobody wants anything to do with you and just to walk with your head held high and try to 
find your way back into a normal rhythm of life. Accountability too was just taking my lived experience as uh, a woman who has experienced, you know, childhood cancer, poverty, abuse, sexual abuse, neglect, Bell's palsy, just a variety of challenges in my life. And moving on in spite of that, knowing that, you know, yes, I deviated from the path that I thought I was going to be on by making this, you know, terrible mistake, but here I am. And now I'm doing this work, you know, getting involved in social activism and using my voice to say, other people are out there too, right? Like we all make mistakes. Um, Some people get to live, you know, they get to keep their skeletons in their closet and no one knows what they've done. Um, That's the worst decision they ever made. And other people don't. And when your, your laundry is aired out for everybody to see uh, you're on a real quick path (laughs) to doing your soul work, which is what I needed to do. And, um, but I'll tell you that soul work (laughs) is, did not happen in prison. I went to prison for, a few years as a result of everything. And it was, you know, a pretty terrifying experience, right? And there are probably people who are out there and think that's what I deserved. And that's what bad people deserve. And it's the only way, you know, to like teach people a lesson. But really, if you want to have people who are genuinely accountable, they need to feel safe and be in an environment where you know, they're not ostracized and they can kind of process things on their own and take ownership without it being because there's a punitive process involved or, you know, guards yelling at you or judges or prosecutors demanding something specific. My prison experience, you know, people were pretty cruel in there. It You were made to feel small. You were made to be invisible, right? And that just perpetuated my life story. I felt small and invisible my entire life. Um, I was constantly rejected and abandoned. And there I was, you know, in prison in a, in a cage, uh, forgotten about and not valued and surrounded by hurting women um, who also in their own right went through their own struggles. And fortunately, I, you know, got out and I have, you know, reunited with my family and, tried to uh, walk a path that I always intended to walk. Uh, But it hasn't been easy because the system and and other hurting people have tried to, you know, keep me down. And and I don't know if that's because they're afraid or they're uncomfortable or they want to separate the us's and the them's or the good people and the bad people. But I'm not really sure how we get on as as a society when that's our mentality, right? Where we keep this separation and this divide. Um, because like it or not, we are all connected and, and we're a community and we live in the same spaces and people who are in prison are going to return to the community, most of them. And they're not coming out better off, more healed. They're coming out more traumatized and their hurts are exacerbated. And so the very thing that got them in trouble in the first place is now just, you know, moving with a a louder drumbeat and and then society makes it really hard to re-enter right like it's hard to get housing it's hard to get a job it's hard to have credibility I, I mean I don't know how you survive when you get out and you're making minimum wage and you have to do all the things and find the apartment in the house or you know or the house or mental health care and a phone and 
all the things you need just to live a, a life. Um, and so I get it. I get why people go back to making poor choices to survive. I'm not excusing it, but I get it. So I've been chatting for a really long little bit. I don't know if you have a certain question or you want to hone in on something I've said specifically. Yeah, I was really just taking it all in. I really appreciate you sharing so transparently and so so vulnerably uh, with all of us. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about my own experiences of incarceration and and what that looked like and remembering the us versus them mentality, even on the inside, right? Uh, and not just in regards to inmates versus guards, right? But like my charge versus your charge, my conviction versus your conviction. And this sort of hierarchy that exists inside in, in prison culture, in jail culture, how maybe it's acceptable for somebody who was selling drugs to come into prison and and find likeness with another person who was using drugs or selling drugs right but if a person comes in with uh charges that are 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 sexual in nature there's a whole it's a whole different ball game you know uh there is uh, folks being ostracized there is this um other right we create this other and i've experienced that on the outside as well with with you know folks i know who have done time on on similar charges it doesn't change when you come out you know um folks uh, on the registry folks having to endure a whole other set of rules finding a place to live that can't be within x amount of feet from a school or a park or you know those things and and i I don't know how we reconcile, <laughs> you know, uh, what, what is the answer? How do we move forward together uh, with compassion in the spirit of community? You know, because it, it seems to me like that us and them, that divide that exists is across the board. You know, you've got the rich and the poor, you've got the, you know, it's just this endless continuum of us and them. Um, division, separateness, other. And so I'm, I'm curious about how your experiences have not only impacted you, <clears throat> excuse me, inside and, and leading up to where you are today, but, but the struggles you've had to navigate since your release and what it's looked like for you coming back into the community and I'd like to dive into that real quick after we take a quick break. You are listening to From Our Perspective, voices of the directly impacted here on Justice Radio with your host, Marian Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We're talking with a special guest, formerly incarcerated woman and mother of three, who asked to, to be anonymous during this interview process, with good reason. We'll get back to, to her story now. Uh, all right. Thank you. So I was thinking about, I, I'm going to answer your question, but I, you touched on a, 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 so many important things that I just want to quickly highlight them. Um, I think it was interesting, right? In prison, you had, you did have a hierarchy. I mean, you have it, it's like a microcosm, right? Um, of our, our bigger world out here. But it was interesting that the women who, you know, were there for drugs, I could see the pain in their eyes. And I saw my mother in them, actually, you know, you could argue, right, you know, they wanted to, at the beginning anyway, before they got, we got to know each other, they wanted to, you know, point me out as the bad person. And, um, and yet, 
right? Like I could say, I, I see that you're hurting and it's probably because you've had things done to you, probably also been sexually abused as I was. And so that's where your anger is coming from. And I can see that. But interestingly, right, if they were going to stop and pause and say, like, could they see my hurt from having a mother who abandoned her daughter at such a young age because of her addiction? And, you know, I didn't have anger towards them, but I could have, right? I could have projected my stuff about my mom onto them and made them feel some kind of way or worthless. Luckily, that's not who I am, but it's all this mixed. It's so complicated. There's so many intricacies. And so the hierarchy is, I think, to keep people safe, their ego safe, but we're all, no one is better than the other. And that, that was clear to me in prison. And it's clear to me out here now in society. You talked about the registry as well. And I do just want to point out that I understand the intention of wanting to keep like our, our kids safe. I'm a mother. I want to keep my kids safe. And so I get that. But the data shows that people in the registry are not the people who you need to be worried and concerned about. Uh, the data shows that it's people you know, right, that are potentially um, going to be harming your children in that way. So the registry list is not keeping you safe, for one. For two, the list is comprised of so many different kinds of charges, right? It could be the most egregious, horrific, make your skin crawl crimes. And also it could be comprised of there's a grandmother who's on the list for, for knowing about some underage sexual activity. And then so she becomes part of that and is on the registry. There are there are young children on the registry. There are teenagers, right? Because you have a 19-year-old and a 15-year-old um, having contact. You know, there are some people out there such as myself who don't have pedophilia or um, a, an attraction towards young people, but got caught up in a big mess. Um, and so it dilutes, right? Like, I think what the original intent of the registry was. And so I personally think it causes the list itself continues to cause harm. I mean, if you could imagine that everybody who ever makes a mistake uh, goes on a list forever for all of the public to see, I don't think that's a healthy, <laughs> healthy thing. And we probably all would be end up on the list in some way or another um, at some point. Um, and then you mentioned, you know, how do you have compassion for other people and, and the us and them? And I think I do that by being able to imagine that person um, before all of their hurts, like me, before all of their hurts started to create this plaque inside of, you know, their heart and, and in their lives. And, and I'm able to see through in their eyes, like their pain and that they're operating from a place of pain. And that helps me to have compassion and to know that at any given moment, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what your one moment, one decision away from a bad choice that could change your life forever. And so, okay. And then moving on, you had said, you know, your main question was, what are my struggles since I've been released? So, you know, obviously I've, I've dealt with a little bit of ostracization, but I also, I've, I have been included, right? There have been some really kind people, which has meant more than they probably know, um, but interestingly, in my professional life, you know, I'm, I got involved in some like activism work where I have tried to go out and be where I am using my voice, right? Like, I don't want everything that happened to me for nothing. I have the ability to go out and speak on behalf of not only the women that are left behind in the prison and the women that have left and the women who have yet to go in, but for women in my position who, who made, you know, 
a terrible mistake and perhaps are on the registry. Um, and and note, I had a lot of resistance, right? Um, it's it's interesting. I went to speak on some legislation um, without giving away my identity, but advocating for women in different ways. And the community and legislators were totally open and receptive. In fact, there were folks who came up after that was like, thank you so much for speaking. Uh, we really appreciate your input. And then when I finally, <clears throat> you know, gave away my identity, they didn't want to hear me anymore, especially when I was trying to advocate for legislation around protecting kids, um, which may sound ironic, right? Maybe there's people who are like, oh, how dare you? How can you how can you try to come up with legislation to protect kids when you caused harm against a young person? Um, but that's what accountability is, right? You you make a mistake, you acknowledge it, and then you do something to make it better. Uh, you Maybe you call it reparation. And, and the only way you can repair is to leave the world better than when you found it and, you know, plant positive seeds of compassion and, and kindness and awareness and educating. And yeah, it's tricky when you have um, leaders in the state, the people who make our, our laws run in a, in a fear, run because they're afraid, run because there's fear mongering and there's, you know, certain media folks who will jump on the bandwagon to, point out like, oh, we can't listen to this person who's a sex offender. Um, she's this and she's that. And so, you know, legislators shouldn't listen to them. And of course, legislators want to keep their seat. They want to keep their power. And so they, they excuse me, they sign off um, from wanting to help. And I've had that happen. Bills that I was working, you know, tirelessly on that ultimately would help people, right? There's a bill called the primary caregivers bill, which says that you have the the option if you have a transgression that you've committed to go before your judge and ask uh to do a community-based sentence or an alternative to incarceration because you need to still care for your children or an elder or someone with disabilities and you're not asking to not be accountable right you're still going to do programming that is related to uh, your needs. So maybe it's anger management, parenting classes, rehabilitation, whatever the, whatever the need is. And maybe you're paying back money. Maybe you're never going to work in a certain line of, you know, work again. And maybe you're going to do community service. It will look different for everybody, but essentially it is designed to keep families intact and not continue the cause uh, the harm that's caused by incarceration and separation of families, uh, which which I experienced. I watched my children uh, grieve when I left and struggle, and not just emotionally, but also in school, um, because there's a, a stigma against incarceration, which is interesting, right? Because the statistics also show that one in 28 kids have had an incarcerated parent. So um, just nobody wants to talk about it because it's bad and it's shaming. Um, and so it stays in the dark and it doesn't become part of our conversation. So, so yeah, I think it's been a struggle. Um, I don't know how you make it better, right? I, I guess it's relationship building. It's hoping that legislators can act according to their own will and their own integrity and um, before the people and not just some of the people, but all of the people um, in spite of their past. And um, that we see the common goal, right? I think it's safe to say that at the end of the day, most people want 
to live in a harmonious community um, where there is equality and people can prosper. I think this bill that I'm advocating for and many other bills all lead to that. And I still, I still want, and I still need my voice to matter. Sorry about that. And yeah, I, I, we have a long way to go from what I've seen and what I've recently experienced. Yeah. It's uh, so disheartening. Thank you for sharing. I'm so sorry that that is, that that's happening. That's been your experience to, to come out and uh, to make positive changes, um, to be accountable and to not only be accountable, but to like put yourself front and center as, as a person wanting to make these changes that are so necessary, right. To like stop the cycle of violence, to stop perpetuating cycles of harm to children specifically, and to have that embraced at the surface (laughs) until they find out something about who you are or or they find out something about what you did, right? And then you're sort of labeled as disposable. And that's the only word that really comes to mind because I can't imagine that it feels anything, it, it feels like anything else. Like it has to feel like you're disposable. And I'm so sorry that that is what is happening. It's unfathomable to me that we lock people in cages and set such extremely high expectations for them when they're released. But then at every turn, we look for ways to keep them down, to silence them, to keep them hidden, right? We create all of these barriers and we don't let them step into their accountability. We don't let them take the lead in making beautiful change in our community. It's heartbreaking. And I don't know what the answer is (laughs) aside from continuing to do the work that that we do right to continue to show up to continue to use our voices whether or not they're heard uh to continue with the good fight to to create community to keep our children safe to to um come together for the sake of the, the greater good um and unfortunately by design that's that's not how things are right? Um, whether you're in prison and experiencing that uh, microcosm uh, culture <laughs> that replicates what is out here, or whether you're out here and navigating capitalism and, and patriarchy and all of these other, you know, uh, hierarchies that are in place that keep keep us separate, that keep us other. Yeah, I think, um, right, it sounds like I feel really defeated when when you think about it in some ways, but you just you just do one little thing at a time, right? It's like casting a stone into water in the same way I made a mistake, right? I made a mistake and the ripples, the ripple effect kind of, you know, spread farther than I wanted it to and caused harm farther than I meant to. Um, And then but that can be the same in terms of trying to make positive change, right? You cast that same stone in the water and this time it's done with awareness and love and, you know, a whole spirit and and maybe you impact one person and, and you share your story and that allows somebody else to share their story or you do a podcast like this and somebody listening um, has a new awareness that they didn't before and they talk to somebody they know and and then they call their legislator and they and they put pressure on in that way. And enough people um, come together where that positive energy um, 
moves collectively. I mean, I think that's, that's what you do, right? And you have hope and you don't give up and you make spaces for people who are imperfect and who are trying to be accountable. And yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this, you're headed in the right direction, right? Because obviously there's something in you that is hungry uh, to learn and to have understanding. Um, and now you say, what do I do with this? What do I do with this information that I have? How can I uh, be the change, right? And that sounds so cliche, but you can, you can do something, your voice matters. And, and sometimes it's as little as having a conversation with another person. And sometimes it's as big as trying to change a law, um, but whatever it is, we need it. Next week, please join Linda and Mackenzie in Creating Windows, Not Bars, here on Justice Radio, when they speak with Dan Kelly of Eastern Maine Development Corporation and Mark Libby of the Career Center about work opportunities in our communities for the success of people coming home from prison and jail. Also, I'd like to give a shout out to the blues man, Samuel James, for his gift of music that opens and closes each episode in our series. We'll be back next month. <laughs>